Hey guys, it's Liz. What's going on guys, it's Dan. And this is Polos and Khakis. With us today we have Mr. Marty McNair from the Jordan McNair Foundation. Uh, we're so excited to have you and be able to uh, and talk, talk about more about the foundation and what kind of led to your advocacy in this field. So uh, welcome, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me guys. Yeah, kind of like piggyback what Liz said, you know, it's very thankful to have you on. I'm sure most of the people know the story behind, you know, the Jordan McGarren Foundation. If you haven't, I suggest you read up on it. Uh, obviously, our condolences go out to you and uh, your family uh, and everyone involved in that case. Thank you. So we'll uh, we'll jump right into it. Just kind of, can you talk about, uh, you know, what the foundation is and, you know, how you kind of thought about it and how it got started? Yeah, so um, like you said, everybody that uh, that should be familiar with uh, the Jordan McNair story, uh, but really a quick synopsis was uh, Jordan had a heat stroke on the first day of football practice, and uh, really it, so many things could have went wrong that day. Uh, however, we went from a healthy kid Tuesday morning to an emergency liver transplant Friday afternoon, and it was basically he was within hours of his life. Um, had an emergency liver transplant um, and unfortunately just didn't um, uh, survive as a result of all of the injuries that was pretty much uh, the complications of a heat-related injury. So one of the main things was, you know, as a parent, uh, you know, I was just like every parent in America at that time. I basically asked the two questions it's all parents or student athletes ask. Uh, can they play and why aren't they playing? I never thought to ask any of those safety or that laundry list of, of safety questions that every parent should be asking any organization that uh, any organization, school, club uh, level that their student athletes play for or play at play for should ask these questions, uh, you know, what systems they have in place and things like that. So one of the things that, you know, we so much so much happened during that two week period. I really felt like I had literally went to like a crash course in medical school. And I had no idea what the functions of the organs were, like the liver, um, the significance of the liver and, and how important the liver was to the body and the 300 functions that it has. So we kept asking ourselves, if we didn't know these things, how many other parents or student athletes don't know these things? And really was for us was I didn't know that, you know, a person could succumb to complications of a heat related injury. I, obviously, I didn't know that, you know, we didn't know that it was that significant. I just thought that, hey, if you out in the sun too much, too long, that's pretty much what heat stroke was, a heat exhaustion. And um, basically came in in the shade and you drank some water and you kind of cooled down and, and everything, you know, you'd go home and eat dinner with your family. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. So as we started questioning ourselves in regards to, and as a parent, especially as a father, you know, I thought I prepared Jordan literally for everything for that next level of his life. Um, son, you know, always be a, a leader, never a follower. And we just had multiple talks that, you know, son, you know, stand up for yourself and all these different things amongst his peers. One of the things I never taught him was if you feel uncomfortable around adults or around coaches to speak up, uh, especially if you see any type of injustices done to, you, to your, if not for you, for your teammates. And I always kind of gave him an advocacy foundation in a sense. And, um, uh, I, we were totally unaware of the fatalities at the NCAA at that time. Jordan may have been the 31st student athlete that went down as a result of a heat-related injury since the year 2000. So all this was like new information to us. But, you know, I kept thinking, and Tanya, Tanya and I, Jordan's mom, like if we don't know these things, how many other people don't know these things? And those two weeks, 
while he was in the hospital fighting for his life. Uh, I mean, literally just to a parent's love or a father's love. If, if you know, my prayers had been answered, you know, he'd be, he'd still be here and I'd be gone because it was definitely, you know, he looked, take me and spare him. Uh, so what we wanted to do was, you know, how do we educate people? And, and the interesting thing, we're always optimistic. And really, like, we were optimistic that Jordan was going to make it through this uh, probably up until two days before he, he, he transitioned. And the main thing for us was basically um, I knew he wouldn't play football again, so we were very realistic about that. But, you know, he could bounce back from that. And a, a young man, I remember coming to see him uh, by the name of uh, well, Gavin Class had had a heat stroke at uh, Towson University. Same thing. Uh, however, you know, it, it was a different scenario, but I mean, literally he went through the exact same thing that Jordan went through liver transplant. I mean, it was just a very, very arduous task to him bouncing back, but he had a very loving mom and dad and they just kind of got through it. And when he came, him and his mom, Danielle came to the hospital to visit us. I just kind of, that was like a shot of hope for me. And I was like, oh yeah, we'll get through this, you know? And unfortunately when you're just that sick, uh, at that level of, uh, of acute illness, Basically, it's kind of like what they call a, a ICU cha-cha-cha. You can have a good shift and a bad shift, but you can't have two shifts back together. And you definitely can't have two days back together. And those last two days, Jordan had a bad day. And then, you know, obviously the third day, a decision had to be made really to, uh, you know, move him from life support at that time. So in our grief, my big thing was uh, grief at that time. You know, that, that was one of my only Tanya and I's only son. So, again, he was a 19-year-old aspiring guy that kind of had the world as his oyster. So it was just too much for us to really comprehend in a sense. So for me, it was like, hey, you know what? I've always been um, an advocate in one way or another, uh, just in different arenas for a different demographic of people. And it was like, you know what? We have to do something. So for us um, to really start this, this was really started more so from grief. And, like, my grief was – it was heavy. So it was like, you know what? We have to – get in front of this. And, um, and that's how we started the foundation. And it was just like, you know what, let's hit the ground running. And I was totally unaware of all of the young people that had died prior to Jordan, all the other young people, not only in college, but you know, at the club level, at the AAU level, at the high school level. And not only I, at that time, we just thought it was football because those were the statistics that we were looking at. And um, as we kind of moved on, you know, we really saw that uh, all sports, you know, you got kids dying. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, and this is the main thing. A heat-related injury isn't a bad thing. It's just a mismanaged heat-related injury is when they become fatal. Because as long as, you know, that can happen to any of us. So that's how we got started. And at that time, you know, I think for me, it basically was just, uh, hey, you know what, I, I'm in a lot of pain. And this is the only way that, you know, we can kind of take our minds off of it. And I'm still amazed at some of the things that we've done since he's passed. Uh, and it's just like when I look at it, I'm still like, wow, you know, we did all that. But I think for the the first three, two and a half, close to three years, it was strictly grief for me. And that just really motivated me. Hmm. So with the foundation, um, I know you focus a lot on player safety and student athlete safety. Um, is there anything um that you like to focus on in addition to that, like safety component? Yeah. So our big thing is initially, you know, we were kind of football centric initially, like for the first, maybe about year, two years, actually. So when, 
Yeah, about two years. So one of the things that I realized was when 2020 kicked in, and we might be, we're talking like definitely pre-COVID, I noticed that when I started speaking, and I started speaking back in 2019, and I would talk to football programs, and then as our national, uh, um, uh, national uh, reputation kind of grew, and I started getting invited to speak at high schools and things like that, one of the things that when I was in, uh, right pre-COVID, I was in Florida. That was kind of like between Tampa and Orlando. And I spoke at probably like five high schools there. And I noticed when I talked to the football team, okay, you just got a certain amount of kids show up. But then one of the things like that popped in my mind was like, let me get everybody that's playing an outside sport. And then the, the gym was packed at that point because now you had all of the spring sports, everybody that was outside. So when we started looking at, this just isn't, isn't that type of injury or it just isn't a big guy football player or a, a male a male tragedy. This happens to females as well. And then that's when our our, our, our reach kind of expanded in a sense. Uh, so to answer your question, um, Liz, is really, you know, like we, one of the main things was when I realized that uh, the crowds got bigger when we started dealing with everybody that was playing an outside sport and the reality that, hey, guess what? This happens or this can happen to, track stars, softball players, baseball players, lacrosse players. I mean, this is just that type of injury. That's a very realistic injury if uh, people aren't really acclimated to the conditions in a sense. So that was, we stayed in the heat stroke arena, but then as we started to come along, you know, unfortunately the last couple summers have been somewhat horrendous in regards to student athletes deaths, uh, uh, not only from heat stroke, but from cardiac arrest. And it always happens on the very first day of practice when student athletes come in and unfortunately coaches want a lot of student athletes to do too much too quick. And it always happens like right around that first day where kids are just coming in and same way with Jordan. Uh, hey, they just were doing some unrealistic um, uh, exercises that day or some drills that day where, you know, unfortunately his body couldn't take, you know, take it so quick. Now being acclimated was like, hey, it may take you seven to 10 days to get student athlete ready and i just think that these are just things that uh in regards to your question is you know education is the main thing so like right now our big thing was everybody had to have a cold water tub where now yeah a cold water tub is ideal but a, a emergency action plan uh that's practice that's even better that's prevention that's what it looks like on the front end so that's what we really promote more so these days than the actual equipment yeah, I mean, we, Liz and I went to school in Florida for grad school, and, you know, uh, our professor who taught the class uh, worked at KSI, the Corey Stringer Institute. So she's big on heat stroke, and, you know, obviously in the state of Florida, you know, anything can happen with that weather in July and August. Um, and like you said, the big thing is that it can happen to anyone that's outside. Um, you know, and the big thing is just, you know, understanding what's going on, the education, and, and the proper, you know, steps to take care of that. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, Dan, because – like you had a, a young lady that died in uh, 2019, basketball player uh, by the name of Imani Bell. She was in Georgia mm -hmm. and they were just outdoors conditioning, um, obviously in some very dangerous weather. Uh, the young lady had a, a heat related injury and, and passed as a result of, but you know, it's sad because uh, they arrested the coaches and charged them with murder. And that was just like, so, you know, Liz, I guess this goes back to your, your your question just now. You know, what do we do right now? It's like everything in this space of 
player safety and player advocacy and we got to educate because I educate everyone, especially the coaches and the student athletes. But, you know, it was very, very disheartening to see that, wow, you know, coaches, you know, made one poor decision and now they're being charged with something that, you know, can affect their lives forever as well. So that our space nowadays just covers a, a multitude of, um, of uh, areas based around this particular uh, topic of student athlete safety. I remember hearing about that case in Georgia and that they had decided on murder charges for her coaches. And I remember being so conflicted because you have to have accountability for like poor decisions, especially when those coaches are supposed to be educated on what's safe and what's not safe. But like you said, one one poor decision and that's a murder charge. Like it's really hard to find the balance and like what is creating accountability to keep people safe and what is going like too far extreme where it's like not creating a, a good environment to be in either. Yeah. It, it boils down to, it boils down to education and, and more education. And um, really, like I said, you know, I talk more now that I look at the big picture of it, we talk more prevent preventive measures where we have the right safety equipment. That's prevention. That I'm sorry. That's that's uh, uh, preventive prevention, but in reality, the EAP plan should be run because I tell people that don't know about uh, what an EAP may be in regards to sports, and I just tell people, you know, imagine a fire drill. You know, if you're in, if you're in the office space and they run a fire drill, and it's like, okay, we already know that you'll go out that door, we'll go down this stairwell, but you got to practice it. So, unfortunately, I mean, the crazy thing about sports is. The potential for a fire can happen every single day you walk out on the field. So you have to be prepared for when it happens. And the thing is, you got to win. We, we say at the Jordan McNair Foundation, you got to win for when it does happen. And when you're prepared and when you're educated, it's like, but you got to. And I think as adults, we have delayed retention. So, you know, like we got to hear it multiple times. And, you know, like if we took a CPR class today, all three of us, and nobody had a, 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 I don't know, a cardiac arrest incident until six months from now. Literally, how many of us will really remember the, the, the breathing and compressions? So it constantly has to be ran in regards to the EAPs. And that's really like the, that's the level of success uh, in regards to keeping student athletes safe. In terms of uh, cardiac issues, just a little bit of side note, I'm a certified CPR instructor, so it's nice. We teach all our coaches and all like the campus rec kids at our school, um, you know, CPR and things like that. So it's nice to, in a way, kind of take the course every couple of weeks just to like refresh myself. Like, all right, like, you know, if this happens, this is what we do. And just, again, just, I can just play scenarios through my mind um, all the time when I'm uh, conducting these types of classes and things like that. Yeah, totally agree. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for what you do, man. It's definitely needed for sure. You know, and, and another thing for us is um, um, I'm really big on legislation. So we've gotten like three laws passed in Jordan's name. However, uh, here we go again with at the legislative um, uh, sessions right now. And uh, we have a young man that passed in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, uh, back in October, I believe. A uh, young man by the name of Elijah Gorham. And I think this next bill will be, uh, it's high school bill, uh, will be named after him if we can get some some success with it through the through the um the senate i mean the house then the senate uh and obviously you know hopefully we can but the main thing is you know it always boils down to who didn't do what 
who wasn't educated. And the thing is, what it boils down to, now I'm putting on my political, I mean, my uh, politician hat, but my advocacy mm-hmm. hat in regards to inner city schools, just depending on what state you're in. The main thing is, you know, it's always it always boils down to who has resources and who doesn't have resources. So you got to look at a lot of high schools and some high schools can afford an athletic trainer. So that's your that's a certified medical personnel on the field during practice in the games. And what about the schools that can't? That's a, a, a opportunity or a clear um, scenario that everybody needs to be trained. And even nowadays, you know, I think that, you know, we really need to train parents as well because what if, you know, the kid gets or the student athletes get by and the coaches miss it and the parent, they come home and they have these signs and symptoms and, I just think that, you know, really these are things that, you know, we need to identify as well. I'm really curious to hear more about your work with legislative uh, measures because, I mean, I try to keep up with all the Jordan McNair stuff as a uh, alumni of Maryland and as someone who is involved with football. It's a little closer to my heart, I think, than for some other people. But I'm curious, like, how that works on your end, um, like, what exactly it means to be a part of that legislation change and kind of what your role is. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> this is, I don't know if you guys even remember remember this cartoon. It used to be a cartoon that came on uh, on, um, on, um, on on TV every Saturday morning, right? You guys can hit it on, I'm sure it's on YouTube. And actually, it is because when we when we first started going through the legislative process a few years ago, I had to kind of refer to that. Uh, and it's like this little bill, and he's like, "I'm only a bill." I was sitting on Capitol Hill and all that good stuff, right? So when we start getting into the, uh, the arena, I would kind of, you know, I'm I'm just a very very uh, uh, in tune person to you know really the media, what's going on in the world. And I was reading an article one day, and it was only a House bill. And it really kind of made reference to uh, a bill that was in uh, Maryland. Uh, and what it does, it protects college athletes. However, if a college athlete in the state of Maryland feels uncomfortable, uh, they can call a 1-800 number and make an anonymous um, uh, complaint, for lack of a better term, or express themselves and it would be identified. So the, um, the uh, sponsor on that bill was a legislator at the time. I'm sorry, she was a delegate at the time. So I kind of shot her an email, and uh, for some reason, I don't know, it took about maybe about a month or two to get back to me. But when she got back to me, she said, hey, you know what? I sent this right back to you. It got caught up in the cloud or something like that. So we started working together. So uh, at that time, we had already gotten a bill passed in Baltimore City uh, called the Jordan McNair Youth Safety Protection Act. And what that did was AAU programs, that used the Department of Parks and Recreation's uh, facilities had to be trained on a variety of things, whether it was heat stroke, CPR, um, um, uh, cardiac arrest, AED machines, lightning, you know, because people understand lightning is a danger when it rains. And if you don't take the kids off the field, obviously that can happen as well. And what was really unique about this bill was uh, we also discussed, uh, or there was a training uh, a training also including around child child abuse, how to identify the signs if one of your players is being, you know, abused at home and things like that. So that was one bill. And then back to that other bill, I was just telling you where the student athletes had the, um, some protection around them. Uh, they can make a call. You know, we got in. And luckily, one thing about the state of Maryland is you know, I, I tip my hat to them because a lot of states should take uh, heed or example from them because, 
you know, one thing about us, we protect our kids. And even though it's a reactionary thing uh, in regards to, uh, you know, a Jordan's case was very, very widely publicized. However, the main thing is, you know, regardless of our political beliefs, our political beliefs, or our, our, our um, financial beliefs, our cultural beliefs, you know, our student athletes are still, that's the one thing we got in common and we must protect them. So we added Jordan's name to that bill. And then we got this NIL bill, uh, which back in 2020 was very, very difficult because there was a lot of ambiguity. Like, are we paying players or are we keeping them safe? So really it was like, you know, as a, as a father, I didn't want to use Jordan's name out of notoriety. So one of the main things was we really just stuck to our guns. Like we're not interested in players getting paid for NIL. However, our number one concern is their health, well-being, and the safety of a student athlete. And we just kind of stuck to our guns. And um, it was like, hey, you know what? Uh, the, the actual sponsors on that bill, when they brought it to us, you know, I was kind of adamant. I know I made a lot of uh, journalists mad because when they were asking me during um, interviews and things like that, I would always, they'd be like, hey, well, what do you think about players get paid? I would always stick to player safety, the wellness of safety, like, I just would not, I was relentless with that pursuit. Like, you know what? One guy was so upset because every time he said this, I would come back to player safety, player safety, player safety. So when that bill got passed, the notable provision on that one was the player safety aspect of it. Then the players getting paid for their name, image, and likeness. But the main thing is so many states uh, had various notable provisions that weren't health and safety of a student athlete. And my, our phrase at that point had become, uh, hey, how, how can you pay a kid if you can't keep them safe first? You know, keep the kids safe first. So we had, we had some success there when we got the bill uh, at, a, at a federal level. You know, we wanted to just kind of create a baseline standard to say, hey, you know what, as opposed to going through all 52 states to pass the same bill with a couple little tweaks, why not just get it passed at a federal level? And it's mandated. We got a baseline standard. So we did some work with uh, Senator Cory Booker out of New Jersey, uh, Senator Blumenthal out of Massachusetts. They had this college athletes uh, bill of rights where all of these things could have fit under this particular umbrella. Um, unfortunately, at that federal level, you know, at Congress, you know, my wife is the political junkie in our house. And she told me, you know, be realistic. And I was just, you know, I went in totally optimistic for like the first week. And I think probably after that first week, my optimism turned into realism just because there's so much at play at that level of the world in a sense. So it's like, okay, we just going back to uh, create relationships and look, we got the bill passed here, but let me say this, the most important thing when it comes to bills. So even when I mentioned the three bills that we've got passed thus far, right? The main thing is this, the main thing now is how do we let people know that the bill applies to, or this bill protects you, how do we let them know that bill is in effect? And that's the main thing, like, okay, how do we let those students, how many student athletes at any state, state college in Maryland really know that they can call that number? Or how many student athletes know that, you know, really this law protects you? And that's really the main thing when it comes to legislation. You have to let the people know, like, okay, if a bill, got passed and you can't make a, a, a left, a right turn on the red light anymore. You know, don't wait till I get pulled over and you give me a $50 <laughs> ticket. You know, some way I should have, somebody should have explained this to me. I, if that makes any sense to anybody. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, that's a good point. I just never really thought about it that way that like 
legislation is great, but if nobody knows that it's there, that it's it's useless at that point. It's not going to change anything. Exactly. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the main thing that, you know, we really have to focus on when it comes to legislation beyond the people that have an intimate connection to the bill. Uh, however, you know, our main goal now really is to um, look at the bill. So a prime example with the young lady in, in uh, Georgia, uh, you know, Doug Casa and I, you know, we, we do some work with the Corey Stringer Institute. I mean, they're very, very supportive. You know, we, I mean, great people over there. And, um, and, you know, like Doug and I were talking about uh, 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 the coaches that were getting charged. And obviously he knew it was a bill to do that, or he knew that was a law. But how many other coaches that coach that know it's a law? You know, like, I mean, and that I just think that that's a different type of incentive or not or just an incentive to make good decisions. Like you said, Liz, that level of accountability, hey, you know what, I, I need to know, like, What's the worst that can happen in the event of my poor decision making? So obviously I'll make better decisions. And I just think that, you know, really, I hate to see anybody go down with that. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, there has to be some type of consequence for coaches, poor decisions. And no parent wants to hear uh, no parent wants to hear, hey, you know, it was uh, some of the stuff that we've heard along the way, not just including us, but other parents. Uh, that this has happened to and you know now the coach coaches want to get philosophical in regards to what happened and just you know some stuff that could be prevented yeah one of the things that i kind of i think it was what rotation i was on but we kind of talked about you know the random catastrophic injuries that could happen at any given time and it's like hey like when stuff hits the fan like not everyone really kind of stays together it's a lot of you know finger pointing and, and things like that um, so again, it could, like you said, it goes back to that accountability um, and just the actions that happened in, during that day or whatever that part took during that time. Um, but real quick, just like going back to um, NIL, it's just my thought is it's kind of wild how all these kids kind of have so much freedom, but at the same time, coaches and administrators need to remember like they're still under your watch. Like they're still, you know, like your players are still your students. And you know, I think, like you said, it's just have to find that fine line of accountability and making sure that, you know, you're, you're keeping your players safe throughout this whole thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I, I, for, for the NIL thing, I think it's a great thing that it kind of it came in. However, do I agree with it coming in? I liked everybody's notable provision when I was reading all of the bills. And like I said, the notable provision is the add-on. So one of the things that I like was, you know, hey, uh, it won't go into effect until 2023, and you'd have to have a financial literacy class prior to. So it was just a, it was some 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 um, uh, um, uh, incremental steps towards this thing really blowing wide open in a sense. And unfortunately, the NCAA just kind of like bypassed all that, and it's like, hey, here it is, and we're just going to learn by trial and error. And I just think that you know, I have a nephew that uh, he's at a school, very popular athlete. And I always tell him, you know, like, hey, you know, $100 isn't $100. You know, that's, you know, to you it may be, but if you earn that $100, I guarantee you it's not 100 And these are things that you have to be educated. And like you said, Dan, a lot of the schools, by being uh, released so prematurely, in a sense, or in effect prematurely, a lot of the coaches, that they can't even really add their two cents, you know, to these players, in a sense. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, they go into outside agencies or maybe people that may not have their best interest and play really to kind of explain these things. And, and sometimes you just kind of got to feel a lot of these agencies out that may be um, coming at these kids. And it's just like, you know, really, you know, let's fill them out and just kind of, you know, have a, some 
symbiotic relationships or just kind of like a, a, a level of discernment when you're saying, okay, hey, I'm going to trust you with my kid because, you know, my nephew, like I said, he's only 19. He thinks like a 19-year-old. You know, he doesn't see the big, big picture. <laughs> he just sees, look, I can get free food at Subway and Chipotle, really, just because I could do this. And that's pretty – or they're selling my T-shirts, and that's pretty much it. Hmm. It's just the world we live in nowadays. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yep. Um, but, yeah, switching gears kind of back to the foundation, uh, how did you decide on, uh, you know, how to make up your medical advisory board and, you know, what kind of – what was your thought process behind selecting Jennifer Reeling as a representative for athletic training? I just talked to Jen earlier today. Uh, you know what? So, Jen was always I, – I met Jen at a Corey Stringer Institute uh, meeting uh, back in 2000. Wow. Could have been 2018, that year that Jordan passed. And I, it was just basically me and a whole bunch of D.C. athletic traders. So Jen and I kind of uh, stayed in touch. And Jen kind of got me in quite a few schools in, uh, in the D.C. area. But one of the main things was how I got to a medical advisory board was uh, one of the main things was I always I, – Jordan was 6'5", 300 pounds, size 16 shoe, uh, left tackle. I mean, literally, like, we, we went all over the nation, combines, clinics. Nike, Adidas, Army, Under Armour, you name it, all the brands and everything. And one thing that was consistent, guys, was there was never any parent education. Now, not saying that I, I, I didn't know what safety equipment looked like back then, but now that I think about it, I never really saw any, but did I go to look for any? But first of all, did anybody ever inform me that it was some there, for lack of a better term? No. You know, there was all I ever did was I was always sat in the stands with a video recorder, just kind of recording his time if he's running a 40 or something like that. But there was never anything for parents to do. And that was one of the things that we wanted to do. And I'm like, you know what, we're going to do our own sports clinic. And uh, that's one of the things that we'll do. We're going to educate people on or educate parents. Kids can go that way. Kids just about having fun. But we're going to educate parents and coaches on all of these things, the signs, symptoms of heat-related injuries. So when my medical advisory board came into play, you know, first it kind of started out as, all right, I'm dad. I'm self-educated here. But again, now I need a certified athletic trainer to teach the course. We kind of grew. It's like, no, we need a medical advisory board here. I need real doctors, certified athletic trainers to really educate these people. And this really gave our organization the credibility factor that we needed in regards to uh, the information. Because again, you know, people are listening to us. So of course you want to go ahead and make sure you have some legitimate information from credible sources that, you know, you relate to people. So that's how we got the medical advisory board. Yeah, it's always good to, you know, get reassuring advice from, you know, the MD or that, you know, the, the people that have those letters after their name and, you know, just like an athletic trainer as well. So you can hear it from a parent and you can kind of take it with a grain of salt, but when, you know, a medical professional says it kind of has some, some gusto behind it. Yeah, and, and let me tell you, even with Jennifer, uh, Jen, Jen is our uh, uh, she she's our top athletic trainer on, on the on the team, and you know one of the things that Jennifer said uh, when I we were doing my podcast it was called Can My Child Play and we just kind of talked around my book and just this whole space and like Jennifer said you know when you have an athletic trainer on the field look at that as an insurance policy and like she's one of the only ATs I really ever had heard say that that is an insurance policy. That in the event of you have a medical professional that is qualified to see it, catch it, identify it, and obviously make the next decisions for me. 
So when you're going out and doing these clinics and stuff, do you find that people are really receptive to what you're telling them? Or do you still find like the cavalier mindset from coaches and parents that like, it's not going to happen to my kid. Like this isn't a legitimate concern for me to be bothered with. Yeah, I think at the club level, at the club level, uh, that's usually the case, you know, like with the younger kids, you know, people really don't see the magnitude of sports related injuries. Uh, I think now that space of, uh, of people listening is opening up because people don't know, say, for instance, you know, we don't know that in, in Maryland, the average the average parent of a student athlete doesn't know the statistics of the 23 young people that died last year, the 19 people that died the year before, because it's not in our geographical area. So that's really sometimes what it can be. The older kids, like when they come to our clinics and things like that, you have a different parent that's in tune. So it's opening up a lot more now. And the main thing is what we're really trying to do is I can't go around all summer and just do Jordan McMahon sports clinics. However, our main focus, you know, this year really and moving forward is, you know, look at all these NFL players that have sports clinics. I guarantee you they don't have any type of parent education, you know, so, you know, look at all these brands that have sports clinics like, uh, you look at the Nikes, you look at the Adidas, you know, we, we, we're trying to do something with Under Armour now that, you know, we can, we've been in talks for, for a while, but, you know, like really these sports clinics with their brands, that brings a whole different element to the actual clinic in a sense. But, you know, these, I just think that this is something, even in basketball, football, you know, I mean, really like, you know, these are things that really have to be done at the start of the conversation and, and not during the season. But even when it comes to registration and things like that, if I'm taking my child over here to register them, him or her for sports or anything like that, obviously this is something that, guess what? You got all the parents here and I just encourage a lot of coaches to be preventively proactive. And guess what? You need to let them know, guess what? We're trained in this, we're trained in this, this is the equipment we have. So you can kind of take all of those questions that a parent may not even know to ask, but they will remember that, hey, you know what, this is the level of accountability or safety accountability that this sports organization has. So it's opening up um, more and more, yeah, in regards to these things. I think that'd be a great idea to have, like, a while the combine or clinic's going on, instead of just, like, watching your kid just have, like, a side thing and be like, hey, like, let's go over the basics of, you know, heat stroke and cardiac, you know, rhabdo, things like that. Yep, 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 totally agree. And you made a great point earlier that, again, is something I didn't consider with parent education is what happens if the uh, student athlete slips through the cracks and they make it home before they really start showing concerning signs or symptoms or that's when they kind of like lose the facade and they're like, oh, God, I don't feel good. Like that's when your parents really need to know. So I think that's a great point and a great reason to do that, that parent education. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it has to because I think that, you know, like I said, depending on it always boils down to who has the resources and who doesn't have the resources. And like you say, if that kid can slip through the cracks and guess what, they're cramping. You know how kids are. They may not even say they're cramping until they get home. And now, <laughs> like, okay, this could be, I mean, all the signs there, but if we don't know what we're looking at, unfortunately, you know, it, it can turn tragic. Or a, a student athlete could come home with a concussion. And, you know, hey, they got a headache. And first thing they may say is lay down. And unfortunately, we know how that can end. So I just think, yeah, the, the parent education is significant uh, in regards to this. And, and this is another thing. I would get so many calls last summer, uh, especially in the summertime, because 
one thing that was for sure last year, global warming showed it's very, it's, 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 man, it's very real. So I was getting calls from parents in Denver, Colorado, and they were saying how, you know, one lady, one family called me and their daughter ran track. And uh, I think she was running the uh, 2400, I believe. And um, I mean, it, it was unusual, unusually warm compared to what they're used to. And they had kind of, the coach had kind of uh, rescheduled the boys' track meet. However, he didn't want to reschedule the girls' track meet. Uh, obviously, you got a high schooler that's a competitive high schooler. You know, they'll hate mom and dad if they just kind of make an executive call and say, you're not running. You know, that's not going to blow over very well. But unfortunately, the young lady and, uh, and her, her, her friend, as soon as they came across the finish line, I mean, literally both of them fell out from, from heat exhaustion. Uh, and of course, you know, they called me. And it's like, hey, Mr. McNair, you know, what should we do in these scenarios? And and we would get calls like that all the time. And it was just really unusually hot in places that it's not really unhot with hot in the summertime. So, you know, this was, I mean, a lot of times, you know, it, this is just the reality. Like people, especially in that Colorado scenario, yeah, they had an emergency action plan for cold weather. But what about the warm weather or the hot weather? And that's what they didn't have in place. So. You know, it just depends. And like I said, I get a lot of calls in regards to that. And one of the things I try to do is just emphasize the parents that, uh, hey, you know what, you got to work within that system. And the more parents that you get to uh, join your side or join your mission in regards to what you're saying, you know, obviously it makes a bigger difference in, in the assistance that you get. I think kind of going back to Liz's comment about like slipping through the cracks like if you kind of look at like an aau tournament like a soccer tournament or a basketball tournament like there's six plus fields going on and there's only two maybe three athletic trainers working there so if the athletic trainers are on field one and something happens on field six or seven you know and a parent can be like hey like this is something's not right you know i think it could be this you know i think going back to that education like hey we need to ref you know Go get someone, or you know, obviously refer them out if needed. But again, you know, like you said, just all about the education and uh, you know, making sure you know, you're prepared for any situation. Yeah, hey Dan, let me tell you, we had a uh, we sponsored a sports program at Baltimore City, a football and cheerleading program, and you know, we did all this training with their staff, and uh, it was one of those days, a team from out of town, and I mean, like it was two, three fields going on at the same time, and um, uh, a kid went down. Older kid went down and literally broke his fibula, right? And, I mean, this kid's on the ground screaming bloody murder, and everybody kind of froze. And I'm like, okay, well, hold on. Somebody call 911. Somebody call his parents. You know, like, okay. Uh, I mean, like we, I just kind of went through all the steps. Okay, like I ran over to the gate on the field. and It was a car parked in front in the driveway. Got the car out the way, opened up the gate, kind of um, waved the EMTs in and things like that. But it was kind of like a perfect storm. So who's riding in the ambulance with the kid? You know, like if his parents aren't here, like these are all things that an emergency action plan consists of. How long does it take? Where's the closest uh, fire department at? You know, the closest police station. Because again, as soon as you make that call of 911, obviously time stands still. So those 17 minutes that it took the EMTs to get there literally felt like it was 34 minutes, but it was really only 17. But the point that I'm making is, you know, after the young man got away, I mean, got the young man, luckily his mom was there, they got him in the ambulance. And the main thing was when I kind of like really was saying like, guys, this is why we need to have an EAP, an emergency action plan before every event, every game, every practice. It's just five minutes to say who's going to do what. The finger pointing started. Oh, it was such and such a fault. It was such and such a fault. So 
again, like you said, it's very realistic that those things happen. And it's just like now everybody's pointing a finger where reality, this three minute con three to five minute conversation. Guess what? Who's going to handle crowd control? Who's going to let the ambulance in? Or who's going to let that? I mean, just the basics of an event happening or that fire drill happening or that fire happening. You know, guess what? The more prepared we are, everybody is. And I think even it may make sense to even get parents in that. Because like you said, if you got that many kids out there playing, you're already kind of short staff. And, you know, really, you know, we need all eyes we can get in regards to these things. Yeah, I think it just boils down to just the more you know, just any given situation. You know, regardless if you're an athletic trainer or a parent or a coach, uh, you know, the more you know, the more you can help your kids is, is just better off. Yep, totally agree. So, I mean, you've done great things over the past few years since you've started the Jordan McNair Foundation. You know, I think everything you've done is great. I think the reception has been building and it's just getting better and better. Where do you see the foundation going from here? You know, what are your next steps? Oh, boy. Good question. Uh, obviously, continued legislation uh, along the lines. Um, I, you know, what I'd really like to do is uh, I, I kind of model myself after uh, when I look to where we like to be. Uh, they have a, a, a foundation called the One Love Foundation. And it was a, a Yardley Love was a, a, a lacrosse player uh, that went to VTech. Uh, obviously, it, it was a domestic violence scenario where you know she lost life as a result of and, you know, obviously they're like in, I mean, they like coast to coast. So they kind of have their presence in quite a few states. And that's really where I see the Jordan McNair Foundation going, like really having presence in quite a few states because, you know, really, you know, we're a small team, but, you know, it's kind of like less is more is plenty of us right now. But the thing is, you know, we get out and do a lot. But uh, I think COVID, I'm, and it's almost like COVID really kind of showed us uh how to be even more creative and like, you know, okay, like how can we maximize uh, our reach in a sense? And that's really our main focus is really to kind of get like, I, I like to be in 10 states uh, in the next five years with, with ease. I have 10 offices in different states. That's a great goal to have. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm really curious. I had no idea that you wrote a book. I learned that when we were doing some research for this interview. So your book is called Can My Child Play? The Questions We Should Have Asked. And I think you touched on it a bit earlier, but could you tell us a little bit about um, what is in the book? What inspired the book? Yeah. So uh, what, what really inspired the book? And I always said I, had, I was going to write a book. Uh, Jordan just kind of, Jordan motivated me on this one. But one of the main things was, I think that our story had gotten so much national attention in a sense. I just really wanted to kind of tell our story on you know, how we got to where we were, um, you know, even in regards to, you know, my upcoming in Baltimore, my upbringing in Baltimore City, and just a father's love. You know, I never wanted my son to be the statistic that I was growing up. And that was just, you know, I was adamant about that to really kind of, you know, just water his seeds of success to say, son, you know what? I did all this stuff for you. You have, you don't have to do it. And really like when people will see uh, me and his mom, Tanya in the media, you know, they just kind of assume that our natural uh, chemistry with one another uh, that, we, you know, we were still married, but you know, when we weren't or we aren't, but the thing is, you know, really, you know, we co-parented very, very well. So it really speaks to a variety of things, you know, um, uh, substance abuse, addiction, redemption, family, co-parenting, self-love, love for one another, love for a child. Um, you know, really, it, it, it can kind of, you know, take you some places where I think everyone 
in any family should read that because it applies to somebody in the family. Um, I talk to uh, uh, student athletes and I, and I emphasize like, hey, you know what? These are the realistic percentages of, you know, people getting to the next level in regards to professional level and how to use sports as a tool for education and how to protect themselves and just really the questions that uh, the list of questions that parents should be asking. So it's really a family book that I think everybody can get something out of. Now, I think over a certain age, maybe, you know, adolescence, teenager on up. Uh, but I, I really think that, you know, it, it applies to everybody and really like it, it's just a, a really, really great, easy read. Every time I kind of read it, I still get emotional. Uh, I won't be happy like I self-published initially. So I just wanted to kind of like uh, have that um, that mentality of selling CDs out the trunk or mixtapes out the trunk. <laughs> and it's like then when you go to the record company, it's like, hey, I, I know what the book can do because I sold this many copies. So. Right now, I'm in the process of getting to the uh, next level uh, in regards to, you know, a published house or uh, actual um, literary uh, agent, things like that. So I'm not, I won't really be happy until, uh, and I know I got another one in me, but I won't be happy until I'm coming through the airport and I see it like in the in the airport bookstores or something, it's looking in the window or the <laughs> shelf. So, you know, that's what it is. But I, it's just a really, really good book. And like I said, you know, I just think that it's something that everyone can get something from. I can barely write a three to five page paper. I couldn't imagine writing a book. <laughs> well, hey, Dan, I'm going to tell you, you know, I, I start... personally, I think it's, I, you know, at least in your case, you know, it's a great way to, you know, like you said, tell your story, get your thoughts down on paper and kind of like actually, you know, kind of like figure out, you know, what happened and, you know, kind of how everything just kind of works. It's just easy to kind of see it on paper and then just think about it. Yeah, it was it was more it was beyond like therapeutic. That was like my therapy, my grief counseling. It, it all came together in the book. But really, let me tell you the interesting thing. So I started writing in um, probably like 2019, October 2019. I was going to go with a ghostwriter. And I'm like, you know what? You know, my father, he's like he's always encouraged me. I've always kind of been a writer, you know, like semi he was like, man, you know, you can write this yourself. You know, you got some pretty good write skills. And the more you write, the only stronger you're going to get. And um, when COVID kicked in, uh, I uh, I reside between Hannah and Atlanta. So uh, I told you I was just coming from Florida, speaking to some schools, and I stopped in Atlanta, and that's when they shut everything down. Like, that was literally March 11th, 2020. And it was like, you know what? If I'm ever going to write this book, this is the time to do it. Because with quarantine, I'm going to make the best out of it. And the interesting thing was um, I, you know, kind of wrote some stuff and I might've wrote at that point, maybe like a hundred pages or something, maybe a hundred plus pages. Now I needed an editor. So I kept saying, you know, everybody I was in, I'd write a chapter, send it to a friend of mine. Everybody was biased. So I had a good friend of mine. He said, I got an editor for you. And when I sent her the stuff, here's a lady doesn't know me. I don't know her. She doesn't know about the story. Most importantly. So she was totally unbiased. So when she got back to me, she said, give me a couple of days. And when she got back to me, she said, you got a story. Now, we need to add more to it, obviously. But when she said that, I just kind of shot off to the moon at that point. That just only, I mean, really motivated me even more, really, to kind of add more, really, to, um, um, uh, I mean, really, just to, you know, really, like, reinvent the whole process all over. But, I mean, it, it was like I really dug in boots, boots to the ground at that point. And we came out with a pretty good project. Yep. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, Dan, it's a process. I, I wrote the chapters and she blended it all together. So that's where the editor came in at. I'll have to add it to my, my reading list. I'm trying to read a little bit more every year. So I'll definitely 
have have to uh, order it and put it on the list. Yeah, get the audio version. You can listen to it in the car. I have to see it. I can't. <laughs> oh, like, cool. Listen to it, so I I, have to, I have to like physically hold a book, my man, uh, and read it. So I'll definitely uh, add that to my list, and I'll let you know how my thoughts on it. Sure. Yep. Thank you. I really loved the idea of the book. I'm a big believer in patient advocacy, um, but it brought up the idea of parent advocacy and how do you educate a parent to advocate for that patient rather than you just advocating for them as a provider. And I thought that was just a phenomenal idea. Like I want to just like hand it out to parents at some of these schools that I know are not asking questions that they really, really need to sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I totally agree. Uh, and that was one of the things like, you know, I, I, I try to tell parents, and especially in the book, you know, we can get so caught up because I was that parent that was like, hey, coach, coach, parents, parent, and that's it. And the interesting thing when you look at the club level, and I, I remember we were at a basketball game. Jordan played basketball and football like his first couple of years of high school. And this lady was just a hollering at a basketball game. It was a away game. And you could tell she was just all over the place. And I kind of looked over to her and I said, hey, your son must be a freshman, right? She said, yeah, how you know? I said, because you still got that AAU mentality in a sense where we're just, you know, very, very vocal, very, very vocal. And unfortunately, we can get in that mindset where we can just get so conditioned that we'll make all the noise. We got all everything to say at the AAU level and coaches can literally just kind of calm us down, for lack of a better term, at the high school level. And, you know, some coaches, they'll walk away from you at the end of the game. You may not even get a a one-on-one with a coach unless it's something serious. And then you can imagine at the high school level, I mean, really your child is advocating for themselves at that point. So the thing is, you got to teach them to advocate early on for themselves when they do get to that level, if they do feel a level of uncomfort uh, with them themselves, and they'll tell speak to you about it at least and say, hey, you know what, I don't feel something's right or something, something, something to that point. And I just think that, you know, really, but again, we can get so conditioned because club level, we're vocal, high school, we kind of, you know, lose it. And I mean, I wish you would say something to a coach out of, out of, uh, out of uh, uh, recruitment time in a sense. So, and that's pretty much it. Yep. Yeah. I have a, a plethora of stories from the AAU circuit of parents just going berserk and, you know, it's just, like I said, it's like the wild, wild West there and that. So, yeah. Because that's the thing. It's no governance at the at the club level. You know, you got the high school athletic association at the high school level. You got the NCAA at the college level. And that's one of the things that's that's why I'm really big on legislation, um, because at the AU level, you got to have some legislation or some type of governance in a sense that really protects kids. Uh, we definitely agree with that. Um, all right. So we usually like to finish our our shows here with a little thing called this or that. So you ready? Yeah. All right. So I may get some heat for this first one because both of you guys are from the state of Maryland, so Liz is already mad at me. I'm upset. One, you have to get rid of one. <laughs> Crab cakes or Old Bay? Old Bay. Wow. But you can't have a good crab cake without Old Bay. <laughs> like, I'm trying to imagining, imagine. <laughs> I, I put, I'm from Pennsylvania. That's where I am right now. Uh, and I put Old Bay on a fair, like, I would say 70 to 80% of my things, so. I'm definitely getting ready. Yeah, I have to be in the mood that I have to be in the mood to have a good crab cake. So I don't. Oh no, I'll pay. I'll, I'll take a good crab cake any day. <laughs> All right, See, last I one. gotta go Old Bay. Yeah. 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 Liz has the, like the value size jar that's like. like oh this wow! Big. Yeah. You know what? I may go buy some tomorrow <laughs> just to kind of keep some in the house. 
<laughs> it's like a, you can it's put like Old a, Bay on anything, but you can't get a crab cake outside of the state of Maryland. Like you're so limited on good crab cakes, yeah. but Old Bay is good on a lot. You know what? After this, I'm gonna go check the I'm gonna go check the, uh, the uh, season cab. And shit. And a, my wife probably had something in there. It's a good safety blanket <laughs> just to have it, just in case. You know, right? Yeah. Okay. Bet. Way to go. Yeah. All right. Last one. Nike or Under Armour? We know. We know Maryland's an Under Armour school, so. That's tough. Wow. The Jordans <laughs> go under Nikes? Uh, I think Jordans is just Jordan. I don't think they're Nikes. I know. I think he's just. I know the Jordan one. The Jordan ones were Nikes. Okay. Right. The rest of them are just Jordans. Eventually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll go with UA. I'll go with UA. Yeah. I'm a. I'm a. You know what? Let me tell you. I'm a. I'm a. Uh, I'm a UA guy, and uh, I know literally every time I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm very, very. Uh, active in, in the sports arena in the sports program at, at maryland and you know just uh you know with at the ad like we're kind of, we've created a really coach locks and i were already friends prior to um like we just have a really really deep relationship um but every time you know me and my team walk in the building we leave with something like i need sneakers i need t-shirts i need i need a sweatsuit you know it's just like so what we did was we run up we ran up on the new uh the new equipment guy and it's like Paco look you need to put better packages together for our team so <laughs> I got a lot of Under Armour stuff right so Under Armour that's a, that's an easy one I'll hit you with one the Washington football team or the Baltimore Ravens oh come on that's an easy one the Ravens oh I'm just oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no the Ravens the Ravens the Ravens I should have said Dallas <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, though, the uh, Baltimore Ravens just named uh, Adrian Dixon their head athletic trainer, and he was an assistant uh, with the Tennessee Titans when I was there for my summer internship. So, oh, way to go! They they definitely got a good one. He's really good. He's definitely one of like probably one of the smartest guys I've ever spoken to. So, oh, good stuff. Baltimore got a good one. Yeah, way to go, way to go. Uh, I'm gonna tell you, and it's interesting because you know, for us, like I think for me personally, and and I don't, I think Jordan Spirit is really, really, you know, still strong in a, in a football within a football program. And I'm gonna tell you, like, college football for me is just like beyond emotional. Oh man, it's emotional. It's emotional. Like, and, and I think that that's because you know we're usually in the building, me and me and, me and my team, and you know we're eating with the guys, and I mean, like, we might be down in the locker room, and you know, like, it's just. You know, like really, like you know, hey, I, I, a lot of the guys kind of look up to me from a, to a from a fatherly fatherly figure. The ones I have relationship relationships with, like Leah, you know, and I'm just always talking like a father, you know, to them. And man, it's just like when you know a couple games. I'm glad you know we got. A, I'm glad I'm elated we got a bowl game, but it's just like you know, really like man, you know, like I feel it personally when you know we gave up a couple games and we beat ourselves on a couple games. But I think really, you know, we got to. We'll get better this year, and I think we'll do a better show this year than we did last year. And I'm just optimistic in regards to that, but very, very emotional to say the least. I'm just happy because my Georgia Bulldogs finally won a national championship. So, shout out! Shout out! I give it to you guys. You guys play good. <laughs> I, I swear. I'm glad. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You guys, you guys deserve that one. Yeah, it was it was a stressful three and a half hours. We got through it and we got the win, so that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all that matters. Yep. Somebody had to go home. For sure. Well, 
I think that's all we have. We can't thank you enough for taking the time and speaking to us. You know, I think the Jordan McGinnis Foundation is perfect for, you know, athletic training and, like you said, parents in general. Um, it's one of those perfect uh, thoughts where you kind of turn tragedy into triumph, you know, what you and your team and everyone involved um, is just doing a fantastic job. So, again, uh, continue what you're doing. We love it, and uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Uh, if anybody wants to, uh, any of your listeners want more information, please visit the Jordan McNair foundation.org. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much again. We really appreciate your time and I cannot wait to read your book. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Everyone hey guys, a pleasure to meet you both. Uh, man, keep up the great work and keep being a voice for sure. Well, thanks for listening everyone. And as always, remember who you are. And make good choices. Those good choices could also include following us on Twitter and Instagram at polos and khakis underscore. Don't forget the underscore. Shameless plug. <laughs>